Well, you can learn a lot about a person by the way they pray. When my kids were young, I prayed all the time for their protection, just continually. I was always praying, protect them from harm, if they'd go out to play, if they'd go to a friend's house, if they were in school, keep them safe, keep them healthy, don't let anything bad happen to them. It was just constant prayer for their protection. When they would go to bed at night, I'd put my hand on them and I'd say, Lord, you know, protect them physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally and set your angels around them and protect them in this bed and put a boundary of your presence. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed for protection for my kids. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for protection for your kids. That's awesome, you know, um, and we know that God does it. But interestingly, despite all that prayer, I was still anxious all the time that something would happen to my kids. There was so much anxiety. And God finally convicted me. And he said, all those prayers, all those wordy prayers about all that protection are really not prayers of faith, but they are prayers of fear. You're just rehearsing your anxieties before me. And so they're not going away because I'm not releasing my kids to him. In fact, he even said, you're trying to control my action by covering all the bases in your prayers rather than releasing them to me. Ouch. Don't you hate it when God's right? Isn't that annoying? So he was right. My prayers were revealing my fear more than anything else, and my lack of trust in God that he would take care of them. And so um, for a little period of time, God said, I don't want you praying any of that prayer anymore. Only thing I felt in my spirit I was allowed to pray was, Lord, bless Mark, bless Matthew, bless Nate, and I release them to you. Amen. That was all I was allowed to pray. Now, I'm not saying that that's for every parent. This was just what God was doing in me because this was so hard to leave it at that. It was so hard not to add all my like, well, and don't forget about this and protect them, that, and this, that. No, he was saying, no, just leave them in my hands. It was like somebody was ripping them out of my hands. That was the way that felt. Um, my prayer was revealing about me my fears. It was revealing about me my lack of trust. And I got to tell you as just a testimony that after doing that for a season, I remember waking up a couple of, I don't know, a couple months later, two, three months later, and I realized all that fear was gone. Just gone. Like I didn't even, I used to always be thinking about what could go wrong. It was just gone because I just learned to release to the Lord my children and all of that was gone. And what this is illustrating is this point is that you can tell a lot about a person by the way they pray. And I might ask you before we even get into this whole service, in this whole sermon, you know, what do you tend to focus on in prayer? It's an interesting thing to think about. What are the topics that come up over and over again in your prayers? And what does that reveal about you? Are they prayers of fear or are they prayers of faith? And so today we're going to get to see how Jesus prayed. We're going to learn something about Jesus by the way he prayed. We're on the 17th chapter of John, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And this is the end of the final discourse that we've been studying from verse 14 on. We've been studying about how uh, Jesus was sort of saying goodbye to his people, uh, to his disciples, and he was giving them a, a bunch of teaching and information, and then he ends it with a prayer. This was very common in ancient days for someone to give a farewell kind of speech and then end it with a prayer, kind of a blessing, almost a benediction. And so that's what we're, we're going to see here. We're going to learn about Jesus by the way he prays over his disciples at the end of his life on earth. And uh, he, the prayer has three parts. It's a prayer for himself, it's a prayer for his disciples, and then it's a prayer for those who would believe through the disciples. That's us, everyone that would come to believe. And so uh, we're going to start with the first bit, the first part of the prayer. When Jesus is praying for himself, how interesting that we get to peek into how he prays for himself. How do you pray for yourself? 
Usually when I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for, like, comfort, right, and peace. I'm praying for things that are uncomfortable to be made comfortable, things that hurt to stop hurting, for the dog who's barking too loud to stop barking, for me to get a good night's sleep, right? I'm praying for things that make me feel better and peaceful and, you know, calmer and and comfortable. And, you know, none of those things are bad things to pray. We should all be praying, bringing everything to the Lord, every little need, every little hurt we should bring to him. But I'm so fascinated and kind of struck by the fact that Jesus doesn't pray any of that, even knowing he was about to enter into a very horrific and painful ordeal. He doesn't pray about any of that. Here's what he says. Let's start in John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The thrust of this prayer is that he'd be glorified, that God would be glorified. That's, that's kind of what he's focusing on. And remember, this second half of John is the book that we call what? The book of what? Glory. It's the book of glory that we're studying here. And it's because that's why Jesus came at all, that he would be glorified. And, you know, it says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I love this. We see this beautiful interaction here between the father and the son. The son glorifies the father. The father glorifies the son. We've, we've been seeing this all through John, right? Last week we saw the interaction of the Spirit and Jesus. John is careful to show us over and over again the beautiful relationship, the fellowship, the love, the care, the care within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together, caring for one another, glorifying, glorifying one another, pointing to one another. It's a beautiful thing in the book of John. And so we're seeing that here. And Jesus doesn't pray for comfort. He doesn't pray for peace. He's praying about finishing the work God gave him to do. He's praying about glorifying God. We see the character and the humility of Jesus in this prayer, that he is more concerned about the kingdom than about his own comfort, his own peace. Oh, that our prayers would become just a little more like that, right? Um, that instead of always focusing on ourselves, we should, of course, pray for ourselves, but would we also add to those prayers some prayers like, Lord, help me to finish the work you sent me to do. Like, Lord, help me to use my gifts to further your kingdom. Show me how I can build your kingdom. Or, Lord, may you be glorified in the way I handle my life. In the ups and in the downs, in the, in the good times and the bad times. Boy, I glorify you in the way I live my life. May, I be, may you be glorified in my family. Not just make my family all get along, make my family all do what I need them to do. No, be glorified in my family. Be glorified in my workplace. Be glorified in, with my fellow believers in my church. See, God cares about all the details of our life, but... but we can bring it all to him and say, Lord, be glorified. When he's glorified, honestly, the other details start to work out, don't they? <laughs> when he's lifted up, when we praise him, be glorified, oh Lord. Be glorified in my life. Be glorified in our lives. Jesus ends this prayer for himself with these words. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
And so I love the connection here in Scripture. We get to see the, the cycle of incarnation and glorification that's throughout the New Testament that Jesus goes through here. Remember how we started the book of John. Where was he in the beginning of the book of John? It was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with God in the beginning. It was with God in the beginning. And then it says the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was with God in full glory, and then he came down to earth. He, he, he shed that glory to walk among us, to save us, to be with us, and then now he's going to re receive that glory again. He's going back up. We're reminded of what a sacrifice it was for Jesus to lay down all that glory to come down here to be with us. We see it again in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. It says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, again, the cycle, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then what happened, people? Therefore, God exalted him into the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Make no mistake, Jesus is glorified. He's glorified. He, he was glorified in heaven, and then with a short stop on earth, to save us, to bring us salvation, to bring us life. Then he, and we even saw his glory, it says, while he was on earth, but now he's glorified again. He is in heaven, seated on the right hand of God the Father. Hallelujah. Be glorified, Lord. Be glorified. It is the focus of this part of John, that God would be glorified and that Jesus would be glorified in us. Be glorified, Lord. Be glorified. Remember that old song by Ron Cannoli? Be glorified. Does anyone know the song? Be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified in the heavens. Be glorified in the heavens. Be glorified in the earth. Be glorified in the earth. Be glorified in this temple. Be glorified in this temple, Jesus, Jesus, be thou glorified, be thou glorified. Mm, I pray that would ring in your ears. Be glorified, God, be glorified. You could tell a lot about a person by the way they pray. Let's look at how Jesus prays now for his disciples in John 17, verses 6 to 19. It says this, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have stayed in your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. That name, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. 
I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What a beautiful prayer for his friends. These were his closest friends on earth. And he prays this for them. And two things strike me about this prayer. The first is this idea of belonging. How many times does he say, they were yours? They were yours. They were given to me. They're yours. They belong to God. They belong to the Father. Remember, the prayer, this, this prayer builds from the chapters we've been studying the last couple of weeks. And what's one of the main things that Jesus was saying over and over again in chapters 14, 15, and 16? He was saying, abide with me. Be in me, and I will be in you. I'm going to make my home in you. My, the Father and I are going to make my, our home in you. So God is saying, you belong to us. You belong. You belong to God, and you belong together in Christ. That's how we are together. This is kind of pointing ahead um, to, to, the, to the rest of his prayer, but we belong together because we belong to Christ. And does anyone here ever feel like maybe they don't belong? How many of us walk in and think, well, you know, they're all... They all get it, and I'm different. <laughs> we always feel like we're the odd one out somehow, right? That we're somehow different from everyone else. They don't get me. My experience is different. We all think of ourselves as a little bit different, that we don't fit in. And guess what? The disciples probably felt that too. Think about the disciples. You had fishermen. You had um, a zealot who was, you know, completely opposite of, of the, of the um, Roman Empire, against the Roman Empire. And then you had a tax collector who was working for the Roman Empire. Such different men in this group of disciples and Jesus is saying, you're mine, and you belong together. You belong to me, and you belong together. This is what the Holy Spirit does in us, see? It makes us one. That's why, I, in one sense, I wanted us to share about what the Holy Spirit was doing in us, because as the Holy Spirit is in us, one Spirit, one Lord, he makes us one. And that's going to be part of Jesus' prayer we're going to get to in a second. So he prays for belonging, that you would know and I pray today that you would know that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus and you belong here in this place, in this body, in this family, that you are part of this work that God is doing. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a kingdom thing. He's praying that for us. Now, he also, interestingly, prays for their protection. And um, if you know your church history, you know that every one of those disciples except for John, who's writing this, actually, every one of them died a horrific death as a martyr. They were all killed. And so I ask you, did Jesus' prayer for protection not work? Did one of Jesus' prayers not work? They certainly didn't seem to be protected from the evil forces of the day, right? Because they were all killed for their faith. But what I see here is that Jesus has a different idea about protection, I, as I have shared before, my protection was all about my kids' physical safety, that they would just, you know, when we pray for safety, it's always, you know, that people stay alive and healthy, right? And that, that's not really what he's praying for here. He's praying for their, the, sex, the protection of their souls. This little band of believers was going to have to take the word of God throughout the world. That, it was starting with just this little group. And he's like, they have to be able to stand strong in their faith. 
They need to be able to stand strong before the evil one that will try to pull them away from their faith. In fact, it, I like the way they put it in this, uh, this particular commentary I was looking at by Joseph Donegal. In effect, Jesus prayed for their protection, but not from danger, but from deception, from delusion and departure from the saving truth. That's what he's praying, that our souls would be safe with God. And we always know that we are fully protected. Our souls are safe with God, that he's not going to let us go. And the world may beat against us. And we may, we may not be here long for this world, or we may be here for a long time, but he's, he's here protecting our souls. He's protecting your heart with him, that we would follow him and not fall away, that we wouldn't fall prey to deception or the evil one or discouragement, oh, that God, nobody loves us, God doesn't love us. Then that we, he'd say, no, I'm, I'm going to pray that you are strong. That's what he's praying for the disciples here. Oh, that we would start to pray for one another like Jesus prayed. That we'd start to pray for one another's souls. Yes, of course, let's pray for our healing. Let's pray for safety. Let's pray for traveling mercies. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray all of that. But let's also pray for our souls, for one another's souls. Let's pray that we would, would be spiritually strengthened, that we would walk by faith that we would resist the evil one and be strong against him, that we would bear up well under suffering, that we'd be so sanctified and mature in the faith that we would stand together as one, and that we'd take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What a prayer if we start praying that for each other. Start, pray that, start praying that for your spouse, for your husband or your wife. Start praying that for your adult children. Start praying that for your friends, the people sitting on the row with you. Let's be praying for our souls. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they pray. Let's look at the last part of this high priestly prayer, and that is where Jesus prays for us, for all of us who would come to know Jesus through the words of the disciples. John 17, 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. In them and I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and I to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I find it fascinating what he focuses on here as he's praying for us. He doesn't really pray that we're going to know our Bibles really well or get our theology really right. <laughs> he doesn't really pray that, you know, we'd be safe or happy or content. He doesn't pray that. Um, he doesn't even pray that we'll get all our wounds healed and feel good emotionally. He doesn't pray all that. Now all that's important. It's part of what walking with Christ is. But what does he focus on? It's fascinating. He focuses on us being one being in unity, complete unity, he says. Us, us, us not only here, but with all the rest of the church, the capital C church in the world. And if there is a prayer of Jesus that hasn't been answered, I think that's the one. Because we haven't been one, have we? 
unfortunately. We've kind of failed on this as a church, capital C church, all of us, we have failed in terms of being one. And you can go, you know, there's examples abounding, right? You can go all the way back to when the church split up into all these denominations, way back then, because they've thought about this and that and the other thing. And then, of course, in our current day and age, how much are churches splitting, arguing over politics and other things, pandemics, how much we have a hard time listening to one another and understanding one another when we have differences, how much we have not lamented together over the issues in our, of our day like racism and misogyny and oppression and poverty. We have not lamented together. We have, in fact, allowed the enemy to split us and to divide. And we wonder why people are falling away from the church. We wonder why the world's getting more and more secular. Because Jesus puts it out there clearly. He says, only if we're one. Only if we are one, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's amazing. This breaks my heart. This means that people won't know that Jesus loves them because we're not one. How horrific is that? Lord, we repent. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not making this oneness, this unity as the body of Christ, an absolute priority the way you did. Forgive us, Lord. We repent for all the souls which never came to Christ because we were so busy arguing among ourselves and not showing the love of Jesus. It's a hard word that he's saying here. It's not one we talk about all that often, but it's important to point out that oneness and unity doesn't mean we all have to be the same. I'm done with churches where we all have to look the same, be the same, have all the same positions on every single issue. It's not going to happen. It's not happening here. Uh, it's not going to happen. I don't want to be in a church like that. I want to be in a church where we all have to look the same, act the same, have the ba same background. Everyone is valued in God's family. Everyone is welcome here. Every, every kind of color and race and, and language and background, everyone is welcome here. Everyone is loved. Come as you are. The key thing is we're pursuing Jesus. See, Jesus is our key. We're, we're, being, we're, we're saved and we're being saved by Jesus. We're learning about Jesus. We're pointing to Jesus. We're telling people about Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we do. And honestly, you can do that in any denomination, really, if they're pointing to Jesus. I like that we're here together in the vineyard, but that's what God wants us to do, to be pointing to Jesus together. Jesus never told the disciples to stop being who they are, to give up their, their identities, their differences from one another. Oneness and unity actually means that we can, we can serve God better together because we touch different parts of the world, we touch different kinds of people because of our differences. It's something for us to rejoice in the creativity of God, that he made us so different. To rejoice together that you don't look like me and that you don't talk like me and you don't have the same background as me and, and God help us, you don't even vote like me. It's all right. It's all right. We need to keep reminding ourselves of that as the, as the, the uh, election's going to be coming up. It's all right. We don't vote the same, but we, we love Jesus. We put him first. And we listen to one another. We rejoice in one another's differences. We rejoice in what we each bring to the table. Jesus prays for this because he knows this is something we need to fight for. This is not necessarily easy. And what's the one thing that Satan really loves to attack in churches? Unity, right? He loves to attack that. Church splits just make his day. He loves that. We don't want to make Satan's day. That's a terrible thing. 
where there's disunity or misunderstanding or splits and division and um, cancel culture arguments, Satan's not far behind. So let's be the kind of church who when those disagreements come up, because they will, because we're different, we'll have disagreements, we'll have conflicts, we will, we will rub up against each other, we will offend one another sometimes. Can we be the kind of church that when that happens, we say, I'm going to go talk to my brother, my sister. I'm going to go talk to them, I'm going to tell them how I felt, I'm going to ask them to talk about how they felt. We're going to listen to one another. We're going to ask ourselves, where is it that I need to grow? Maybe I need to repent. Where does that person need to? And, they, and each one of us together, we are listening to one another. We are quick to apologize, quick to receive an apology, to forgive, and to pray together for more unity. Church, if we can do that, I'm telling you we will stand out from the world, from cancel culture and all of that nonsense that's going on out there. We will stand out if we can truly love one another. That's, that's what we want. Oh, Lord, this is Jesus' heart for us. This is his heart. He prayed this for us. This is really important to him. I want to just read to you from the Africa Bible Commentary, one of the commentaries I love reading from. All the Bible scholars are from Africa, so they're, so they're writing from a perspective of that country, that continent. But it says this, The Holy Spirit transforms believers into brothers and sisters in Christ and also into brothers and sisters to each other. In other words, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that makes believers united in Jesus and amongst themselves. This unity should be most evident in the local church. It's because of this unity that the local church is only one link in the unity of the universal church. The unity that God brings extends to all believers of all nations, denominations, and time. Tribalism, ethnicity, and denominationalism are hindrances to the unity of God's people and must be resisted. Of course, each ethnic group or tribe has its place in the church, but only as links in a long chain. There's no place for ideologies that consider one ethnic group or tribe superior to another. Similarly, individual churches belong to different denominations, but this division must not be allowed to be an obstacle to unity. Unity was one of the main things that Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer. He knew that unity leads, lends credibility to the message of the church and is part of its mission. Amen. Amen to that. I love that. We each have our place, each tribe, each nation, each culture, but as links in a long chain. And boy, do we need every link, because where one link is missing, the chain breaks. So we need every, every one of us. This is what our diversity working group is all about, making sure that anyone who comes, of whatever culture, whatever identity they come in, that they feel loved and welcomed here. This is a little pitch to remember to fill out your survey. If you haven't filled out your survey yet that came out from the diversity committee. But this is what we're trying to do, that every person who comes in here would say, this feels like home. This feels like home. If we can do this right, we will stand out. We will stand out. I want to just remind you of what we read in John 13, where Jesus knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. Remember when we talked about that, that he, he did this strange thing. He took off his tunic, he put a towel around his waist, and knelt down and washed the disciples' feet, a completely humiliating act, completely beneath him. It was a shocking act of love and of service. And even to two people he knew were going to deny him very shortly thereafter. What did he say to them after, after doing this shockingly loving thing, this shockingly humble thing, he said, now go and do likewise to one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Be shockingly loving to one another. Can we be shockingly loving to one another? Shockingly in unity. 
that people say, I don't know how that group stays together, man, but they are in unity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen to any of that? Amen. Amen. All right, we're going we're gonna to close this because I, I want to remind us that you can tell a lot about a person by the way they pray. And we're seeing a lot about Jesus' heart, aren't we, in this prayer? I encourage you to read it and reread it and begin to ask yourself, how can I begin to have the priorities that my Savior had? That the disciples would abide with him, belong to him, be protected and strong in the face of evil. That they would be one in unity as brothers and sisters. And most of all, that he would be glorified in them. They'd be glorified in that place. Oh, may his glory shine out of this place, out of every one of us. That's Jesus' priority. May these be our priorities as well. And I've been praying a lot this week about how to close this time. Uh, as you know, in the vineyard, we always close with a time of ministry. It's a time for us to receive from the Lord um, ministry, whether we need prayer, whether we um, have something that's stirring in our heart that we need someone to just speak into or, or, or pray over for us. I want to invite the prayer team and the worship team to come on up now. And I also consider this time not just a ministry time where we receive ministry, but I also consider it a response time. So it's really a time for you and me to sit with what we've just heard and say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? What is it you're calling me to? What is it that you are speaking into my life right now? And it's going to be different for every one of us. But I pray that we'd respond to the Lord. We don't want to be just hearers of the word, right? We want to be doers. We want to respond to what he's speaking into our life. And so I invite you to just close your eyes right now as we enter into the time of ministry. And we're just waiting, Holy Spirit, for what you want to do. You may realize you need more of Jesus and want to just come up and ask to be filled again. Continue where we left off last week, to be filled with the Spirit of God. You may realize that there's people in this room that you're not in unity with. And this could be an opportunity to go speak to that person to make it right, to speak and listen, to give an opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness. You may be realizing that your prayers have been all about you and <laughs> you want them to change a little bit, to start to pray for, for strength in the face of the evil one, that you'd bring glory to God, you'd finish the work that God put you on earth to do. And healing's come up a couple times today, and I do sense today someone needs healing. Mm -hmm. So if there's anyone who is feeling like I'm hurting physically, I feel like the Lord wants to heal. No, not just physically, emotionally too. So you need healing. I encourage you to come up. Don't just sit in the, in the pews. Come up and receive prayer. I feel like God is present here to heal. He's present here to minister to us. Holy Spirit, come.